Listener Production. Welcome to episode three of The Grill, everybody. Planets have aligned, crystals are charged. I don't believe in any of that crap, but <laughs> Daniel Ricardo's race number is three. So it must be meant to be. The F1 star is our special guest today, Italian Grand Prix winner. Can you believe it? We're also going to talk classic barn finds, yarns where some amazing wheels have been tucked away, covered in dust, and their stories are often as captivating as the rare machines themselves. Plus, the price is right. I've always wanted to be a game show host. Uh, love you, Larry Emder, if you're listening. Uh, not the legendary game show. We're talking about, again, the insane auction prices that keep blowing our minds. Time to introduce the panel. If you haven't heard the grill before, we are delighted to have former Top Gear panellist, author of the award-winning book Revhead, uh, general car guy, bike guy around about town, Shane Jacobson, hello. I was just going to say, that all sounded quite familiar, and I've realised that's me. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm all right. How have you been? Mate, I'm great. I'm great. I'm, uh, well, just happy to be here. Hey, three, like, you know, 10 more to go, we get to 13, unlucky for some, but I reckon we're going all right. We'll get there. Also with us, Jeff Willem. He is the man we turn to for answers on everything from technical to politics and more. But those of you listening to the show have this obsession about the PM's car. Now, borders are making this process a little tough, Jeff. Have you got an update for us, episode three? Well, uh, Greg, I'm going to Glasgow. You're so, going to uh, Glasgow. I've worked out. <laughs> I think I can get into the the uh, Prime Minister's car quicker in Glasgow than I can in Australia if he goes to Glasgow. So let's you know let's wait for that to occur. Uh, but the tentacles are still out. Very difficult in lockdown. I may have to go to my second order contacts in Canberra, but Ooh. Glasgow might be the only way I'm going to do it. We will do anything from servicing cars, you name it, cleaning cars. We want to get the PM on and talk uh, the Prime Minister's car. Also on today's show, in addition to VACC boss Jeff Gwillem and Shane Jacobson, the latest VFAX. We'll do a dive in there. We'll also chat. Uh, they've been great sponsors of our, our show, but it's a terrific Australian story, this. So George Kyriakopoulos, the GM of Bendix Brakes, is going to uh, come on the show. And while we're on the whole notion of supporting uh, local, we're going to talk to a well-known tyre business owner that is very much entrenched in Aussie motorsport, especially now in the historic scene. Many of you will know him. Russell Stuckey joins us on the grill today too. Now, Jay Leno used to have a segment... Does this impress William Shatner? Uh, fellow avid car fan David Letterman had the top ten and fun facts. I don't know where I'm going here. Uh, we have a signature top and tail to our little show that our man Shane Jacobson runs. He's in the driver's seat for these, and he likes to kick it off with Cop This. <laughs> Not sure if you kept your eye uh, on social media recently. Um, it's mostly for car nuts. But Danny Green, as an Australian boxing legend, if you will, sold his XB Coupe and he got $270,000 for it. What? So, <clears throat> I know. And, and and there's a buyer's premium on top of that. So you're actually probably talking slightly north of 300000 So here's the thing that made me go, cop, cop this. So currently, look, it does have a big block motor in it, but, you know, it got me thinking, what's a what's a 
big block, you know, crate motor out of America, you know, 15, 20, 25. He did have, you know, some pretty cool gear stick knobs on it. I think it was a skull or something and some kind of custom-made Dawn buttons to unlock and lock the car. Let's give that five. But an XB Coupe, I know we keep talking about the, the insane prices of cars now and Australian classics and just, just secondhand cars in general. But a good XB now, and Jeff, tell me if you think I'm in the right ballpark, is 120 to 140,000 is probably what you'll have to rip out of your wallet to get a decent XB Coupe. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, at least. And it's a bit like house pricing. It doesn't matter what the price is, somebody's going to pay for it. And a week later, somebody's going to pay a bit more. Shane, even with a little bit of, let's call it celebrity value add, right? Or unique, I was just going to say, that's 20%. Got to be no more than, can't be more than 20%. That's a, I mean, he's a champion bloke. That, what a winning result. I mean, you'd be, you'd be super happy. But if the average of them is 120 to 140 and you add celebrity tax, so I don't know, we'll put 10%, it's probably more like it. There's 14 grand. And you add, like I said, another 20 grand for crate motor. It's still nowhere near that 270. Don't get me wrong, you know, great car. And, and you know, I love the XB. I've, and we've had chats before, Rusty, about uh, what I think is the toughest car ever in a film ever. And, you know, that's it's a great debate that we can maybe have one day. But I've always said if you got the uh, Eleanor uh, out of gone in 60 seconds and put it in a boxing ring with the XB Coupe out of Mad Max, the XB Coupe would punch Eleanor straight in the face <laughs> in the first two seconds. Yeah. Uh, toughest car ever to be in a movie. And so I love the XB. But even I, I kept thinking it will probably get 150, 160. The Danny Green factor could get it to one. Never in my wildest dreams that I think 270. And as I said, plus buyers premium gets it to 300. We're going to talk more on this issue because there's been a bit of news around some other sales uh, in this area. And they, they too, the results are mind-blowing. If you've got a yarn uh, like this, hit us up, info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. And you can also send us a little voice memo. Just use the app on your phone. You can send an audio, piece of audio, your question in, and we'll try and weave those into coming episodes. Love to get you on the show. That gets us to classic barn finds. I love these. The moment you see the picture uh, in the article or you hear the story of something incredibly rare, covered in dust, being tucked away for 40, 50 years, it immediately gets your attention. And there, and there was one, Shane, in the last, I don't know, six to 12 months regarding a 1967 Ferrari 330 GT that was uncovered. And I think the owner had brought it in in the early 1970s never registered it in Australia and it's been tucked away ever since and now uh, is going through a, a, a restoration. Incredible. There was a barn, oh, I don't even know where it is, Steve Pizzati who used to do Top Gear with me and, and who's a mate, um, had this photo I'd seen, oh, I can't remember what it is. It had. Uh, it became like an unofficial Holden museum that had like 50 or 60 old Holdens in it. He's a mate. He's, he's a mate. Get him on. Richard. Get, ring Piz now. Ring, ring him up. Let's ring him up while, while you're doing this. Ring, ring Piz now. Go on. He'll be doing nothing. He'll be locked down somewhere. He'll be locked down in Melbourne. All right. All right. He's restoring an old <laughs> Alpine, I think. He'll be busy. He'll be on the tools. Yes, yes. he is. He is. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Mr. Pizzati. Uh, yeah, unless this is the Federal Police, uh, then it's not. Hey, <laughs> Jacobson, how you doing, buddy? Really good. How are you guys going? I'm going to put you on the spot. I've got Rusty here. I've got Jeff Wett. We're here with The Grill. I know you're a long-time listener of all three apps. Um, uh, we've only heard two because this is three. You're in it. Um, <laughs> there was a barn somewhere, I think, in Victoria that you'd showed me pics of with a whole bunch of, like, I don't know, 50 old 
Holdens in it that was literally a, a, a chook barn or something that had like dust over all the cars. Is that right? Where 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 was that? And how many cars ish was in that barn? It's funny because there've been so many of late. Like barn finds are becoming one of these things that they're all, almost people love the fact that they're kind of rare, but they're no longer kind of rare. People are discovering them all the time. There are a few in Victoria um, that have been turned into museums. And the funny thing about Victoria is that it's probably got more than any other state from from that point of view. So there's the one at Trafalgar, which is Trafalgar. I think maybe the one that, that, that yeah that, uh, that that you're talking about. In Gippsland, but there are actually uh, three others as well. There's one at uh, Metcalfe in uh, Castlemaine, which is a bit of a hot rod capital for, yeah. for the country. And then you've got two more on the river. There's there's another Holden's kind of a museum at Echuca and one at Mildura as well. Well, the Echuca one I know about because that's where my HJ Kingswood is. Um, in fact, we, we even featured that whole museum in a film that I did with Hoags called uh, Charlie and Boots. The car that you drove through the, uh, the, the mailbox. <laughs> How's your memory? Yes, I did when I had to when I had to swerve off the road for the pig. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't that part of your audition for Top Gear? It was no, I, I can do I can do stunt driving. I've driven through a mailbox. <laughs> that is exactly what I. It's a true story. <laughs> There's no need for you to bring that up. Doesn't sound very cool at all, Piers. There's better stories than that out there about me, isn't there? But yeah, it, 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 and we are obviously talking about barn finds, but it is that 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 one shot. I'll, and I mean, people can feel free to Google it if it is that Wayne Trafalgar. It had. Like I said, it was 50 or 60 old Holdens, that are, and I just think now, what on earth would that be worth? But we're, we're talking about the love of every car covered in dust. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and it's funny, a lot of those ones do end up getting converted. So once someone does come across this, you know, as a grandfather's collection, whatever it was, as a barn, and then, as you say, they do tend to turn them into kind of museums or at least something that you can wander through and, uh, and, and, and admire. But Holden, yeah, obviously for obvious reasons in this country, tends to have, you know, the biggest sort of collections because, they're seen as the national car. You can argue that to the cows come home, whether it's actually any more uh, Australian than, say, Ford Australia cars were. But either way, it does have that sort of that moniker of being the more Australian of the brand. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of those museums and Victoria's full of them. Senor Pizzardi, Rusty here. Before we let you go, mate, it's been great that you've come on and answered that, uh, that question for us. Uh, have you been working away on the Alpine? Any truth that you've been blowing dust over it with a leaf blower come, uh, you know, to give it give it that look? And, and have you kind of authenticated its history? What's the, the history on this little beast that you've been working on? Um, so short answer is that, yeah, I mean, COVID, like everything else, has kind of kiboshed a lot of plans. I can't get parts, frankly, out of France. Surprise, surprise. So, um, yeah, it's been very difficult to... Uh, you've got, already had a rare car and then you throw in COVID and that makes it even... Uh, even more difficult. So things like door hinges and just little, those little knick-knack bits and pieces that you need to finish a car are becoming really difficult to, uh, to get uh, to get a hold of. But uh, in terms of its provenance, it's actually, it's, it's nothing particularly special. Like it wasn't like it was a, a race car or no one famous had it or anything like that. It was just a series production car built in 75. So it's, it's one of the later ones. Hopefully, uh, it'll be ready by the summer. Uh, just don't ask me which year uh, the, the, the summer is in, uh, but it, it, it hopefully be ready in a summer at some stage. And, uh, yeah, when, when it's done, um, I was going to say all three of you can come, but you, you can't because it's a 
it's a two-seater, so we'll have to just take it in turn. I promise you one thing. Um, I will drive it at some point so that you can say, as driven by Shane Jacobson, which will at least halve its value. <laughs> <laughs> Done deal. Mate, sorry to uh, disturb your day, mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for helping us out, and we'll catch up soon, yeah? Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Hey, before you go away on your long, well-deserved holiday, how about you get your Forby kitted out with the Bendix Ultimate Four-Wheel Drive Brake Upgrade Kit with advanced brake pads and rotors, braided lines and lots more. It's the ultimate brake upgrade for the latest 4x4 vehicles like the Ranger and Hilux. When you've loaded up all the gear in your four-wheel drive and you're towing your caravan, make sure your brakes are up to the job with the Bendix Ultimate Four-Wheel Drive Brake Upgrade Kit. Bendix. Put your foot down with confidence. Hey, speaking of brakes, time now for some breaking news thanks to Bendix. No, you go, Rusty. I'm just doing the sound effects for news, mate. We ran out of budget. We ran out of budget. Oh, I love it. VFAX are out. So uh, why don't we have a bit of a look at that? And, Jeff, why don't we actually start by telling people a, a bit more? You know, we keep hearing about... Uh, uh, VFAX in our show. What what is it? And and uh, just sort of expand on it a bit more for for our audience. VFAX is a series of uh, automotive manufacturing data uh, brought together by the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries (FCAI). Not all manufacturers subscribe to it. Most do. Uh, so, for instance, Tesla. Uh, you won't find Tesla data there. It's really useful. And a lot of people use it because when you look at housing data and car data, they run very parallel. A lot of economists look at these two data sets and they draw conclusions about how the economy is going based on cars that are selling and houses that are selling and the way those prices move together. It's quite an interesting, I'm going to use the word symbiotic. There you go, I've said it, symbiotic. I I said I was going to do it. So for the month of September, who are the big movers and and who are those that have perhaps done it um, a little bit tough, the losers, if you will. And it's, I mean, I feel like we're beating up on uh, Honda here in recent episodes. We don't uh, mean it that way, but they have had a little bit of a tough run. Ford Ranger, uh, best-selling vehicle in Australia. Was it more than 4,000, I think, were registered in September? Yeah. Look, Ford Ranger is still the top-selling car, and the three or four top-selling cars, they're four-wheel drives. They have been for a while. I can't see that changing. We, we, we are in a mode in Australia... I've got a big car. He's got a bigger car. People can see better. Well, I need to get a bigger one to see past that car. It's that theory called standing on other people's shoulders. MG, of course, is a great uh, product in the market, and it's still picking up market share. It's now sitting at 3.5% of market share in Australia. They've sold 29,000 vehicles this year against 9,600 last year. But then we go to to, uh, uh, Honda, uh, and as we know, Honda, they pulled a number of dealerships out of Australia last year. They've gone to an agency model, which means same price wherever you go. Um, there is still a legal challenge in Australia. Uh, there was one went in, into the courts this week, and the legal challenge points to where manufacturers may know that they're going to make changes in a particular market plan or in a particular structure, and they encourage people to go into deals before that happens, and that's where the challenge is with Honda it's in terms of what they knew before they imposed a new market design, if you like, in Australia. It looks like we are on track for one million vehicle sales plus again, which is staggering, isn't it? It is. The best year we had was uh, 2017, 1.2 million vehicles. 
Then it, went, it nudged back last year, of course, it struggled around the 1 million. I think this year we will get over 1.1 million. It sounds crazy, you know, we're, and we've got to remember in certain states like Victoria, we've got a different condition. If I talk to my colleagues in WA and South Australia, they haven't been in the same COVID world that we have. Remember, mining is booming. Lots of vehicles being bought in mining and by people in that industry. In commercial vehicles, so light commercial, one of the biggest areas of vehicle sales in Australia at the moment, um, think of parcel delivery and think of people delivering things over the last two years, okay? Think how many people bought vehicles to distribute goods around Australia and uh, the productivity that came with that would have been huge in terms of hardly any uh, traffic on the roads. It's a really, really interesting car park. We will still, uh, I'll put my money on the table today, all $2.50. <laughs> I think we will get past the 1.1 million car sales. And, and if I could, Greg, remember, uh, migration has been almost stalled. So the, the growth has only been domestic growth. It hasn't been incoming uh, population. An indicator here, Greg, you know, I, I like to just talk about where we're going. Even though I'm predicting 1.1 million cars sold this year and we're currently sitting at 816,140 for the year, lending is starting to drop a bit. So people are starting to drop lending. Now, it's interesting because the Reserve Bank held its position this, this week. It didn't raise Reserve Bank lending fees. Our analysis shows that the lending for vehicles is dropping slightly, which, you know, is this people saying, well... Just hang on a minute. Again, I'm going back to house pricing. House pricing's now getting too much. Conservatism starts to creep in and people are just holding back. There's another factor though, Greg, and this is a really big one. Companies like uh, Rivian, for example, Ineos from the UK, the new Polster that's a Volvo vehicle. These new vehicles that we're seeing a lot of, there's a lot of information. If, if somebody in, the, in this industry hasn't seen a picture of a Rivian, then they just need to get another job in bakery. There are new brands on the horizon that look really interesting and really exciting. That new uh, Pulsar, by the way, that Volvo coming in under $60,000 into Australia, which is a, a premium electric vehicle, nice looking. And that new Ineos, which just looks like a great sort of uh, Jeep four-wheel drive crossover, that's a great vehicle. And, and they'll be selling them in Australia potentially by the end of the year. So there's a lot of stuff that we can see coming in. I think that Volvo, once you spec it up a bit to try and match where the Tesla is, I think it comes in a bit dearer than the Tesla. I think they figured out. It does so, if you spec it up. If you spec it up. Uh, actually, uh, just sorry, Jeff, just have you seen that light above you? Does that light look right? Look above you there. I'm not looking. Hang on, Rusty. I'm just grabbing that 250 rusty. There's a dollar fifty. <laughs> and there's the dollar. Sorry, as you were. No, you're right. Before before <laughs> I'm, we, I'm safe. I'm safe with that. Before we run through some news headlines, final one while we're on the subject of VFAX. And I and I almost feel like I'm not an actor like Shane, but I, I almost feel like I need to put on a geeky voice for this question. So here's my here's my best. Uh, we keep hearing about the microprocessor <laughs> shortage uh, in supply. Uh, Jeff, what do microprocessors do and why are they in such demand? I think <laughs> actually that was such a good performance. I'm going to give you the dollar fifty I took off the desk. There you go, mate. There's the two fifty. That's all Beautiful. of Jeff's two fifty. That was a great performance. So microprocessors, uh, sorry, it's actually semiconductors and microprocessors, but semiconductors are switches. Semi. Conductors. Sometimes they conduct and sometimes they don't. Taiwan Semiconductor a Company, biggest manufacturing company in the world for making uh, semiconductors. COVID came in. They supplied chips to a whole lot of stuff we needed in the home, which was computer games and gadgets and all that sort of stuff. Car manufacturing started up again. Can we have our chips back? No, you can't. We're now supplying them over here. 
And uh, even in the industry, we know that there are some cars that have got things, not safety objects, of course, but some things that don't work on them that will work later when they chip them up. Um, but this won't clear in the next two months. It'll probably be a year out. But you know what we're hoping for is they actually spread the production past Taiwan, add into the broader, um, whether they're going into America, and hopefully the supply will start to come through. We have $2.50 in seed capital, so we'll work <laughs> on that project. Let's let's blaze through some other headlines here if we can. Jeff, I want to touch on, um, in changing tact here now in, in the style of story, uh, one that caught my eye on the VACC uh, social media in, in recent weeks, and that is... Uh, a survey into potential significant job losses in our industry. Um, and we're talking roughly over the COVID period, maybe maybe fractionally beyond that in terms of the survey period, but it's but it's estimated to be about 7,500 people. Is that right? Yeah, it is, Greg. And it's, there's a real challenge here. So the automotive industry uh, in Australia has had critical shortages in skills for a couple of decades. The problem I've got is that where are we going to get the labour from moving forward? At the VACC, we run an, a group scheme, an apprenticeship scheme. We've got 500 apprentices. Less than 10 of those 500 apprentices are panel beaters. How is it that the panel beating industry can, can continue the way that it is when we've got sh- such a, a, uh, a narrow supply chain coming through? So, Greg, these job losses are a real problem for us. It will just lead to people taking longer to get their car serviced. We'd, we're, we do a lot of work. We're in schools, you know, trying to encourage kids, kids to come into the industry. But you've got to remember, as a community, for the last two decades, this is what we've said. You need to go to university because that's where clever people go. And it was wrong, and we're paying the price for it now because we've got a whole generation of kids that don't want to get their hands dirty and don't understand that jobs in trades can get them across the world because we said go to university. So, Jeff, people listening now who might have a, a friend with a son or a daughter or have a son or daughter themselves or a brother or a sister who are, who are thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind a job or they're looking for a job, what do they do? Who should they call? Do they, where do they go? Well, they can do a couple of things. I mean, of course, you know, we run a group scheme. They're, they're more than welcome to, to come and have a chat with us. But the way that employment works, and the, the federal government really struggle with this. They keep trying to run stats on job opportunities in automotive and they get it wrong every single time and we keep telling them people get jobs in automotive through word of mouth and through people knocking on doors because that's how the industry worked for a long time. So if a, if a, a person, young, medium, old, doesn't matter, if they want to work in the automotive industry, look at the businesses in your area and knock on the door and ask them for a job and then go back two weeks later and go back two weeks later and go back two weeks later. That's how you get a job in automotive. Well done for shining a light on this. It is, uh, I have to admit, it is tough um, reading, but uh, important to um, try and generate um, some interest. Lots of industries, I mean, you could talk about the entertainment industry needing support from government in, at this time. I mean, it clearly, based on that, that survey result, is an, you know, is an evidence-based need um, for some support from government, state or, or federal. Let's go to affordable electric cars. Everyone would love a, a Tesla or a Taycan <laughs> in their driveway, whatever it might be. 
the Hong Guang Mini caught our eye. <laughs> Five grand with aircon. <laughs> um, yes. It means it has no roof. <laughs> That's why it's cheap. When do you reckon the whole? And maybe this is something for our our um, our special guest next month, Doctor Carl. Incidentally, is coming on the show next month, which will yeah. be terrific. When do you think a a an affordable priced electric car will kind of become main, mainstream for everybody? I think that next year in particular, they will start to come down in price. I mean, I, you know, we said this and we asked for this. We said, look, when they get cheaper, we'll start to buy them. Uh, the numbers still aren't fantastic. We'll be lucky to sell 10,000 pure electric cars this year in Australia, which is microcolor. It's, it's, it's a very small number, even with incentives around the states and territories. But I think over the next year, they will start to come all the way down. We will reach a $35,000 electric car and potentially next year. Fun fact, yarn to finish this segment. Um, but Jeff, you and I need to sort of work together here because it is a sensitive subject for our mate. We're going to talk about AFL Automotive Sponsorship Race Winners. Grand final wrapped up recently. Shane, you okay? Uh, still not ready to talk about <laughs> it as, as, a, as a doggy supporter. The, um... Well, well, there <laughs> the, the are. Thank you, Greg. I know. I knew this was going to be a difficult one. Um, automotive brands everywhere in footy. I think there's something like 11 in total currently, and there's been more than that when you look back over time. Good win uh, for Jaguar with the Melbourne Demons. It's been something like five decades for the Demons, but that's that's a pretty cool and significant thing for Jaguar in that partnership, isn't it? Oh, it's a great win for Jag. I mean, you know, I think uh, footy in Australia why every single uh, footy club hasn't got a, a, a brand on them from the automotive industry, I don't know, because it's where you'd advertise. I mean, it's a very keen market and you'd be there. Now they know why I said they jagged the win. <laughs> <laughs> from the AFL sponsorship race to a great Australian success story. Now they're wonderful backers of our show here, The Grill. We are delighted to get the general manager from Bendix on to have a chat today. George Kiriakopoulos, hello. Hello, how are you? This is a a terrific story. Nice to have you on. Uh, And it dates back to the 1950s, mid-1950s really, doesn't it? Yep, Uh, started in 1955, in fact. So we had uh, celebrations last year, 65th uh, year um, birthday celebrations, and that was a little bit COVID disrupted. But, you know, we've been manufacturing Australia since that time, haven't stopped. Uh, And you're right, I I think it's an Australian manufacturing success story. I've had the absolute pleasure of having uh, your brakes in the car, uh, and it was when I was I was in a Toyota eighty six at Bathurst in the production series, and and you uh, guys with yes. the Petters team had uh, had brakes in our car. And I must admit, you know, when you're coming down Conrod, uh, <clears throat> it's just nice to know that uh, there's a set of your brakes sitting inside the car. The only thing, uh, can you do anything about acceleration? Because you got that thing to stop beautifully. I just couldn't get it to go fast with my foot. <laughs> Are you going to move into yeah, acceleration at any point? <laughs> that's not our forte, I must admit. So yeah. going to have to. To go elsewhere for that. <laughs> George, these are, are times <laughs> invariably where, you know, often uh, despite a, a pandemic, it's a, it's a period of, of great uh, thought and innovation and, and looking ahead to the future. Can you give us a sense, you know, from Bendix has an incredible array of product that caters to all sorts of, of models, European, all sorts of industry, for example. But if, from a vision point of view, what does the future look like for you guys? The future is now in some respects you're seeing a lot of changes in the automotive space um, and you know people expect uh, electric vehicles to, to come in 
And as we know, electric vehicles have regenerative braking. They use uh, brakes less often. But, you know, we're prepared for that as well. We've just launched, uh, in fact, our hybrid EV hybrid brakes in preparation for for that uh, era. But Australians love their cars. They still like their internal combustion engines. And uh, we've seen um, in recent years and still now, the love affair with four-wheel drives and utility vehicles. So it will be a long time, I think, before uh, electric vehicles uh, will be in everyone's uh, driveway. I think uh, they'll more likely be a ute in everyone's driveway before that happens. (laughs) George, uh, when we look at uh, vehicles, and I think you're right about uh, electric vehicles, and uh, it was a question I had about uh, brake pads for electric vehicles as well, but what we've seen in, in Australia over the last couple of years, it, it was building anyway, George, but there's huge growth in motorhomes and caravans and trailers. They all need brakes as well. I mean, in, in, in Bendix, are you seeing that as part of a growth strategy as you, as you move, move forward? For sure. And uh, um, in a lot of our advertising, we're featuring tow vehicles because that's what our customers are, are doing with their cars uh, and their SUVs, uh, um, more specifically, and utility vehicles. Um, and we see that as a, as a growth area. We have what we uh, refer to as our brake upgrade kits, and it's a solution really to ensure that uh, utility vehicles in particular brake uh, better than intended. Uh, so there's a few products that we've got, which is a big brake upgrade kit, which is also coming out soon. And unfortunately, great cars, are, I do love uh, utes, but they do have um, drum brakes in the rear. So they don't stop as well as perhaps they could. And when they are towing, you need a little bit of extra assistance. And, uh, you know, in that regard, you need Bendix. Among the many um, accolades for you guys, Australia's largest automotive friction material manufacturer. Uh, you too, I think you've been there since since 2018. As someone who's a proper car enthusiast, this is the dream job in some ways, isn't it for you? <laughs> it, it is a dream job. And I took over as, a, as GM in 2018, but I started in 2006. So I've been in the business for, for quite a while. And you're absolutely right. It, it's, a, it's a dream job. And uh, there's a lot like me in the business. In fact, uh, we're doing a, a calendar shoot Hello. Um, uh, hello. With, uh, uh, yeah, hello. Hello. I thought that would uh, Shane and I are unavailable. Get you interested, but but uh, but in this instance, we asked for people to uh, show us their their cars, um, and uh, out came these amazing cars. You know, E H Holden's, F J yes. Holden's, Chevy's. Uh, we've got uh, Monaro's, a beautiful Monaro, in fact. Um, and uh, uh, Fords, um, it's it's just brilliant. So these people that actually make brake pads uh, are car enthusiasts as well. I, you know, I almost refer to them as artisans. It's it was just amazing to to see. And so we thought, you know, we'd get our our people engaged and show uh, our customers what you know what these people are, are truly like. And they are car enthusiasts. They love what they do. George, you had me at E H Holden. Um, I, I, so I, I've got one of these. And, and and here's the question moving forward, um, because I have an E.H. Holden and, you know, as you know, they are like a 1960s rock band. There's just drums all over the place. I used to sit in the middle of that car at E.H. Holden when I was, a, I was a baby. So bench seat in the front, in the middle of my mum and dad, I 
you know, I, was, I sat in one of those many, many years later. I figured that I couldn't even sit behind the driver's seat, let alone the middle. Do you remember that moment where you sat in that front seat of the EH on the bench seat and looked left and mum's got a belt on, look right and dad's got a belt on and there you are in the middle with nothing? <laughs> <laughs> The amount of our friends that have a cigarette lighter circle on their forehead where they hit the <laughs> dashboard. Uh, so my question to you is, as an EH Holden owner, uh, are Bendix looking at bringing out a range of anchors on a rope you can throw out the window to stop that thing? <laughs> yeah, not, not uh, I don't think. I'll check with the product uh, engineering guys. I'm not sure. I'd, uh, I'll get back to you on that if you don't mind. Because I know what they're going to come back with. I've got to put a HR front end in it and then it's not rigid. Dig. Anyway, I don't want to go down this road. There's all that. There's all that. George, it's been fabulous to talk to you and uh, and we are thrilled to have you on board for this journey with us uh, for The Grill. Thank you very much for your support and to you and to the team there. I know COVID may have been uh, tough, but we love the way you guys uh, keep boxing, keep developing and, and keep coming out with, with great new things. Thank you very much. For sure. And appreciate you uh, asking me to join the show and, and uh, love supporting you guys. And uh, thank you very much. Keep it up. For maximum performance under the most extreme conditions, you can't go past Denso Iridium spark plugs through patented technology, including a 0.4 mil diameter center electrode. The Iridium power plug produces the strongest, most concentrated spark with the lowest voltage requirements. Find your part at denso.com.au. They're widely respected in race circles too, with quality Denso plugs for competition use and fittingly, Denso drives our feature interview. Today, it's a racer with a lot of spark. Lads, you know that you have made it in life when you get a car named after you. You can now, you can now buy the Daniel Ricardo limited edition McLaren 720S. There's only, I think there's only three being built, so they're probably already sold. Uh, same papaya paint scheme as this year's F1 car. Celebrates his recent success. Uh, very, very cool. Yeah, Greg, I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to this. What a win in Italy. What an ambassador for Australia and what an ambassador for motorsport. Seems crazy to think that he made his F1 debut at the British Grand Prix back in 2011 because that feels like yesterday to me. The proud Aussie with the Italian ancestry wins at the Temple of Speed. That is just bloody mighty. He is on the line from Monaco. Dan, as we say hello and welcome, where does that one rank in career terms for you? Oh, uh, hello. <laughs> um, it, it was it was certainly up there. I think uh, it was as good as as good as uh, any of them have been. As good as uh, Monaco, I think, just because of after kind of the year I've had, that was probably the biggest one to date. I'd say. Hey, Dan, does anyone understand if you tell them that we call it the Bonza in Monza? Does that make sense to anyone um, overseas? They they do not. <laughs> you should call it that from now. Mate, I've got to tell you, there's, there's one commonality between your wins, and you don't know it yet, mate, and you're not going to believe it, but it's me. 
because we're catching up now and you've just had a win. And, mate, I don't even know. I, I've, not, I've, I've not had a chance to bump into you um, since the win in Monaco, but I was there, mate. I was in Monaco. My wife brought me a surprise present to go and watch, well, you race, but obviously to be a part of the atmosphere. And, of hey, course, I'm good. going there going, how amazing would it be if you won? Uh, and you did. Then here's the bit you don't know. I got so excited <laughs> and I mean, there was a party afterwards and I was there with a whole bunch of Australians that went there, were on the hairpin, were at the Fairmont. I jumped up and down so much, I snapped my Achilles <gasps> and then had to, and I couldn't get me to the hospital because the track the track was, wasn't open and then it got misdiagnosed. I ended up with two blood clots, uh, deep vein thrombosis, and you know what? It was worth every goddamn moment <laughs> to watch you win that thing, brother, because I've never – I so I so wanted to bump into you again going, I was there. Mate, that's that's – uh, well, firstly, I appreciate – uh, the lengths you went to to celebrate with me. <laughs> I hope your Achilles is better by now. <laughs> it is. It is. Mate, I know it seems like a weird thing to jump to, which is V8 supercars, but you're at the top of the peak with, with F1, obviously, but you've been in a V8 supercar and you know, Australians, we're mad for it. It's the meat pie of our motorsport. What, what are they like to handle for someone who's so used to doing what you do? Are they a weird beast to manage around a track? I like your meat pie analogy. I, I'd love a meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love a, a good meat pie right now. Um, so it was, I mean, it was it was only weird because it's, you know, it's very different to a formula car. So, you know, like the first few laps when I when I jumped in it a couple of years ago, I was, um, yeah, it certainly felt like different, but it still felt like a race car. Like it felt nimble. It felt, you know, bloody quick. And yeah, like you still, the basic fundamentals are still there on how, how to, I think, drive one. I'm, I'm not going to say I know how to drive one fast yet, but yeah, like to get around the track and, and all that kind of finesse and that like controlled aggression, I, I think that's all still relevant. So I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Hey, the McLaren boss, Zach Brown, has dangled the carrot and said, if you got a podium, you could drive his ex Dale Earnhardt NASCAR, the 84 Chevy Monte Carlo. That is Awesome. One of the many things in his great collection. When is that happening? You love your NASCAR, don't you? That's cool. That that's another, I mean, a, a pretty sweet experience um that I'll I'll hopefully get to do soon for sure. So I mean, growing up, yeah, I was just a, a lover of motorsports, two wheels, four wheels, all of it. And uh yeah, you know, I um, you know, grew certainly a fond, fond fan of of Dale Earnhardt and uh yeah, to to kind of get behind the wheel of you know a car he he raced like that'll be pretty surreal. So um, it'll I, I think it will happen probably within the next couple of months. I don't know if it might even happen in the states. Um, we'll see. I know the car's based in Europe at the moment, but um, maybe to go with the American theme, who knows? They might send it over to Austin and do a few laps in Texas. We'll uh, we'll see what happens, but that'll be pretty awesome. The press has grilled you, mate, about unlocking the speed from McLaren's, you know, 2021 car. You said after the win at Monza, you never left. So, so true. Do you feel more confident in it now in in the wake of that? Is there potential for additional podiums before the end of the season in, in your mind? I've, I've definitely felt, um, I'd say just like more comfort and like a calmness uh, since since the August break. And that was, you know, I just needed that time to to reset. I think the first half of the year was was probably two things. It was so intense and also 
probably like very foreign for me to be like struggling so much. You know, obviously I've had a fairly, fairly solid career up to date and I haven't, you know, you always have highs and lows, but um, I hadn't really like lacked an understanding with a race car um, to the extent that I had, you know, this year. So that was certainly foreign. So just to get away for a bit and to, yeah, escape and reset mentally, switch off, like that was all really important. And I, I came into, you know, already into Spa, the, the first race after the break with, yeah, just like a bit more kind of confidence. And uh, I think with that, just as I said, like a calmness. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like surprised that, you know, I did get a good result. Am I surprised it was a victory? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but in saying that, like as the weekend progressed, I believed it more and more, you know. So by Sunday, when I led out of the first uh, the first corner there, already in my head I was like, "No, the win, like the win, is not out of reach today." And yeah, it was it was a cool feeling. So I'm I'm certainly growing in confidence with that. And as far as like the press or whoever, like you'll always have people that doubt you. And I think that's just uh, I never left. Comment was more just was to be honest, more for me like than anything. And I like through through the years, through this year or just through the years in general, I've actually been really lucky, I think, with like press and positivity over negativity. So, um, yeah, I didn't feel any like it wasn't really directed at anything or anyone. It was just uh, it was just more for me because you have like self-doubts for sure. So that was just like, all right, I know what I can do. And I know that it's a sport where also I don't think like we need the press we need the media to obviously give some color to it all but the truth is like pretty much all of them can't relate like no one can drive f1 it's just it's not a sport that's accessible so no one can say oh i could hit that free throw or i could kick you know that goal from 30 out you know like i don't let it for me it doesn't carry that much weight of course like at least the negative stuff the positive stuff i'll I'll soak in all day. <laughs> yeah, when you get a win like that, I must admit we get excited to go, oh, yeah, here he goes. It's kind of, you know, as you know, when you get that tailwind, that, that's what everyone's looking for and you certainly got it. Mate, carts have always been a, a part of your life and it's a conversation you've had probably a billion times That, and everyone knows, anyone that likes or even, even knows anything about motorsport knows that carts are a way in. I mean, you've got the Ricardo cart. I hate to tell you, I just ordered the cart. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've done a uh, retail therapy COVID purchase and just brought myself an Arrow cart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, mate, you've, you've got the Ricardo cuts. But have you got anything to do with some of the young boys coming through Austria? Or even we, we had Mick Dewan on, on, on the show last month and uh, Jack Dewan. You, you're probably aware that Jack's out there having a pretty good crack. Do you have anything to do with the young Australian kids coming through? I do, I do. Um, so I'm actually – I'm a chance of catching up with Jack today. Oh, awesome. He's based here in Monaco as well most of the year. So we're, um, we've done a few training sessions together and, uh, and spent some time together and um, – yeah, more so this year, to be honest. I I knew I knew of Jack, you know, for a long time, but never really got to spend time with him. So he's been a really, um, I mean, I, I really like him. I get on with him really well. And um, I guess you guys know how it works. Like if you've got a strong surname, you know, sometimes it's it's hard to, to kind of be your own man. Um, but uh, I, I really feel he is a like a, let's say a strong individual. He's got like the right attitude moving forward. And I think he... He's got a bit about him. I like where, where his head's at. Um, and then, yeah, Oscar Piastri is absolutely killing it. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm in touch with him a little bit, but I'm, I'm not claiming any of his success at all. Just, just you know, I'm giving him 
uh, all like, you know, the awesome job I'm watching you, all that sort of stuff. But uh, I know, I know Mark's, Mark's uh, looking after him. So he's in, in very good hands with, with Mark Weber. And then um, Alex Peroni as well. So he was doing F3 in Europe and then he, he moved over to the States this year to do the, um, the IndyCar lights. But uh, yeah, I speak to him quite a bit as well. So uh, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. It's more just I, I am following these kids with interest and just I, I want them to do well. Like I'd love, I'd love uh, another Aussie up there with me. We'd love it too, mate. Hey, uh, Shane, by way of a little bit of storytelling here, Dan's parents in Perth are some of the loveliest people you will ever meet, right, Joe and Grace. Does mum still get nervous after a decade in F1 and over 200 starts? Yes. Does she? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if that will ever, if that will ever go, you know, because it's like, I think you, you kind of, I guess, get used to it. Like, but what do you get used to? Like, you, you get used to seeing your son on TV, but it doesn't change the way you feel about your son. You know, like you still, I'm sure, care as much as you always did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if she answered that question, no, nothing's changed on <laughs> on the nerves front. You'll yeah. get there one day, Dan. But uh, me and Rusty are there as parents. I don't think you're ever going to get used to the idea of watching your you know, child do 300 kilometres an hour. There's, there is no getting used to that. It's just accepting that you're not going to stop. I think as a parent, that's the thing. Yeah. I love the expression that it's it's a parent's job with boys to keep them alive until they're 26, and then the mother's job is to hand that boy to another woman to try and keep them alive. So, <laughs> so. Hey, Dan, Formula One is obviously a, a, a massive and, and brutal business at times, not just a global sport. There'll be people that will be listening to this that run, say, I don't know, automotive businesses and so on. What do you reckon the greatest sort of business lesson is that you've learned because you're off doing other things now. Shane mentioned Ricardo Kart before, and I think you've had a, a partnership with St. Hugo and so on. So what's what's the sort of the business thing that you've learned, the takeaway? Uh, I mean, the, like the first thing that came to my mind, and this is a very basic principle, but it's probably the most important, at least for me, is like you have to, you have to believe in it or you have to be passionate about it. Like I won't lie, there's been things in the last 10 years, probably more so five years, that have like, been put on the table and for me to look at opportunities or ventures and you know at first you want to say yes to all of them and sure like maybe I've said yes to some that again like maybe I wasn't truly invested in or passionate about and and it's it's not the same as getting involved in in stuff that you really care about and something that you want to put your energy into and so it's like I think it's it's very Everyone wants to jump at an opportunity and I guess think it's like the coolest and greatest thing, but make sure that what you're going to get involved in or start up is truly something you care about and something that means something to you. And, and therefore, I think you'll find a way to make it work and make it successful because you enjoy being a part of it. Mate, I just saw, uh, I think it was a GoPro thing you did with McLaren. You were fanging around, some, is it somewhere in the US on some kind of d desert road? I, I, isn't it funny? We're, I'm so used, as everyone else is used, to watching you go incredibly quick around the track in an F1 car, obviously. But what is it about watching in-car footage of you, you know, stepping out sideways, you know, kind of getting into oversteer in a car on a on a civilian road that made me go, oh yeah? And I saw like like your Instagram lit up with people going, oh yeah, look, it's so funny. You must be going, 
Guys, you know I do this for a job and I do it a shitload quicker. <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing that, is that fun again? Like there's, there's no one, no one's got to stop watching their hand do that. There's no telemetry. It's just you stepping sideways. Yeah, right? so so I think going, going back to it, the whole like F1 not being relatable and that, um, like that McLaren road car is at least more relatable to some. And I mean, a road car is relatable to everyone, let's be honest, whether it's a bit faster or not. Like, so I think them watching that and seeing me like fight the wheel and slide, they're like, oh, wow. Like, I don't do that on the way to work. Like, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think I think there's just probably that element of like, wow. And, and you can hear like the engine rev and the tires screech. So, and then as you mentioned, like you see my facial expressions, you know, like I'm not wearing a helmet. So people can see like, oh, wow, like look at his focus. You know, you can see my eyes and all of that. So that's another element. But um, I think as well, like going back to the the partners and that like GoPro, like that's that for me was a call it a marketing day for GoPro. How cool is that? So that that's when I say like, if I can al- align myself with with like brands and partners that I enjoy, then like if that's a work day for me, then I mean, yes, yeah, how lucky am I? There's a big difference between someone getting a deal with Mars where they've got to eat a chocolate bar on camera versus you putting a McLaren around a track sideways. I mean, look, I ain't knocking a chocolate deal, but uh, <laughs> probably probably not good for my trading regime. <laughs> hey, time, time is going to beat us here. You've been awesome to spend some with us. Couple to finish if we can quickly. Sure. Are you any good on the tools? Because we often see you uh, over summer and it might be on the property and, and what have you, but... Are you any good? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Dan, no. can I give you a clue? Just say, I don't have time for that. Don't say yeah, you should. Yeah. Just say, I don't have time for that. I mean, the, the, tr- <laughs> the truth is like a lot of, well, I guess when, like when I first started in go-karting, like for sure my dad did most of it, but he also wanted to make sure that I had like respect and discipline. So a lot of the time I would do a little bit of the stuff on the go-kart, but it was basic. It was like maybe, you know, take the wheels off, you know, with a little T-bar, T-bar, is that what it's called? A little yeah. T-bar kind of <laughs> yeah. Alan key thingy um, or a socket or something. But uh, but now like a lot of my mates are like mechanics or they're, they're much more hands-on than me. So like if something breaks on the farm or something, then I'm just like, hey, you you know what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> Your smile, mate, has become a, a, a trademark. It is in, infectious and wonderful. Shane, as you know, is a is a well-known comedic actor, but I sense in you, you love comedies too, by the sounds of it. And did you half stump our F1 colleague, Tom Clarkson? I think you ran a line by him from Anchorman in his podcast and it went right over his head. He, he didn't he didn't know what it was at the time. Are you into those sort of movies, Talladega Nights and things like that? So, yes. Long story short, I love I love all that humour. Um, like Will Ferrell, Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, all those guys. Um, they're just, they're pretty awesome uh, to me. And it's, it's also like a part of it is, uh, like I guess in a way like my childhood, like movies like Dumb and Dumber, uh, Ace Ventura, like we, I've got my core kind of group of friends that I grew up with that, you know, we all watch those movies together. And even now to this day, like if I go back for Christmas and we see each other, half of our uh, conversation is in is in movie quotes. It's, uh, we don't even speak real English. <laughs> so, but speaking of Australia, I am, uh, this is the first year I've been probably literally in 15 years of being away from home. This is the first year I've been legitimate homesick. So I am hanging out to get back to Oz. Um, 
I mean, family and that, of course, like that's the main thing, but just, just to get home. Um, home is home. So yeah, hanging out to get back hopefully over Christmas. As we wrap this up, a, a listener question, and there's a real short one to answer. First car, daily drive, and what's a little something on the bucket list, a guilty pleasure? Pick three machines. Uh, so first car, a Toyota Hilux. <laughs> what year? Very, what year? Very Australian. Uh, 06. 06, 06. Okay. Um, And then current drive is a, a, well, I've got two. It's One's a McLaren, uh, so it's a 675 LT, and then one is a Vespa. Oh, I love it. I love it. Monaco skateboard, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there a little something, a resto project or a guilty pleasure, one in the years to come that you go, I, got, I want to get one of those? We're talking cars, yeah? Could be bikes. Could be We're bikes if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, you stumped me. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> what's, I mean, like, uh, like I, I think maybe the older I'm getting, the more I appreciate like vintage cars. So an old an old, uh, like a really nice old vintage car would be, would be good. Um, I won't say any, any brands, brands because they'll okay, probably okay. be competition, <laughs> competition with McLaren, but, uh, but let's like something from probably the sixties. Yeah. Can I give you a clue, Dan? You know, what will keep you safe with your sponsors. Just that car out of the Flintstones, mate. Had no brand. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for for shooting the breeze with us, having a laugh with us. On behalf of everybody listening, a huge congratulations to win at Monza. It is massive, and um, and we never doubted you, mate. Go go get them for the rest of the season, and we look forward to more more great stories. Well done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Just to underscore how good that win at Monza was, Dan actually set the fastest lap of the race on the final lap of that Italian Grand Prix. That's an emphatic statement, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, Greg, to um, put your foot down and to actually break a record in the last lap of a race like that is just phenomenal. Um, Greg, I had a chat with somebody this morning, uh, somebody that knows what's happening uh, in terms of the Grand Prix next year, and I asked them, uh, is it going to run? Uh, their view is it will run. We will be the third race in the series. Uh, and uh, what we what we of course want to see uh, is Daniel Ricciardo here winning that race uh, in Australia, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, it has to happen. And uh, so uh, that's uh, there's no guarantees there. But uh, for the people I spoke to this morning who are in the know are telling me, that, that that more meetings are happening around the Grand Prix and the, around the Grand Prix, and they are very optimistic about that running uh, in April next year, third race in the series. I'm a little concerned about where we go with uh, our next special guest interview, but we have that locked in, and it's going to be a beauty as well. We're going to talk crazy facts around cars and all sorts. Doctor Carl will join us on episode four of the Grill. Can't wait for that. It's impossible to run an automotive workshop these days without trusted technical solutions. VACC Motortech is a cutting-edge offering combining the best of VACC's large suite of technical products, including the Technical Advisory Service, Times Guide and Tech Talk with the might of Haynes Global Know-How. The best practice comprehensive solution is available now in a subscription package to best suit you. Go to motortech.com.au to learn more. Time now 
for our member guest. And today, very familiar face, whether it's in the paddock at motorsport events, service parks and so on, right around the, the country for that matter, supplies all sorts of brands of tyres, but a really long history um, distributing Dunlop for 50 years. Family business on Sydney Road at Brunswick, but on the road a lot, and we are thrilled to get him on as well. Russell Stuckey from Stuckey Tyre Service. G'day. G'day. Thanks for that introduction. Yeah, very warming. Family business, and um, you have kept the tradition going, haven't you? It is a family business. It was started by my parents back in '66. And I joined them in 69. And over those years, we've had 19 family members come through the business. Amazing. And motorsport is a, a passion for you, I, I, I know. But, I mean, you've found, a uh, in probably in the more recent past, Russ, a, a great connection with, with classic and, and historic motorsport, haven't you? That's right. That's only been the last 20-odd years out of the 50. It suits us and we love the gold cars and... We have a real rapport with the with the customers who love the cars too. By the way, for those for, for the listeners, Russ, uh, past VACC president, father, past VACC president, huge history inside the chamber, and and very much appreciated and thanked, Russ. Um, when I was down in your workshop, you go down the back there. Uh, it's a lovely old building, uh, but I couldn't help but notice somebody in there is still cutting tyres, Russ, and I don't know if anybody knows in Australia, that there is somebody that can still actually cut a thread in a tyre. Is that correct? I don't think there's many of us left. It's a bit of a skill. I've, <laughs> I've had trouble passing it on to some of the younger members of our staff. It's a real skill, but it's still important. It takes me back to 1972 when we first got into motorsport. That was the year that Peter Brock won Bathurst in the XU1 Tirana, six-inch wide wheels and slicks. But it rained that year and Harry Firth, I don't know if it was his idea, but he got the Dunlop guys to groove some grooves in the tyres and Brock won on those tyres in the wet. It's a rare skill and it still goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, it is. Well, and, and actually the name, Stucky Tyres, if I say to somebody in the industry, oh, look, you know, one of the past presidents, and you mentioned the word Stucky, that I, that's all you need to say, and particularly in the motorsport area. But, Russ, when I was down in your workshop, uh, I, I can't help this. It's a bit like barn finds, uh, Shane, you know, when you go yeah. looking for stuff. You've got the glass cabinet there, Russ, and I look inside this glass cabinet and there's an old cigarette packet <laughs> with some writing on. Yeah. And I said to you, why is there an old cigarette packet in there, Russ, and what's that writing on the back? Can you just share that with us today? Well, my dad worked for Dunlop for many years before he left to start his own business back in 66, before I joined, and he... He had a, a customer and, of course, they used to meet for a beer every week or so and uh, he got his first tyre order, which they wrote on the back of a cigarette packet. So we're fortunate to keep that. It's in our display cabinet. If there's any cigarettes in that packet, Russell, they're now worth a fortune. They're probably worth... <laughs> the cigarettes are worth more than the first tyre order. <laughs> hey, Russ, we did talk about the... the passionate niche, if you will, in relation to, to classic cars and historic motorsport. Um, Phillip Island Historics, obviously, is a, is a fantastic event. You enjoy getting to that. And we understand that an old legend, an old racing legend, is often a visitor to the shop. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that'd be Norm Beachy. Storm and Norman. He's, Mega. Storm and Norman. He stopped racing the year we started, back in 1972. Loves his old cars. He's a regular customer here and 
His current dry, everyday driver is a, the latest model Corvette. Oh, cool. Only yellow, which is my favourite colour. The last one he brought in was a 1960 Oldsmobile with white sidewall tyres. And it's a ripper car and he loves it. And we get on very well these days. The last time I got to see him, well, race, if you will, was, believe it or not, in a drag race. I was doing an event at Calder Park and Bob Jane was there, the late, great Bob Jane, uh, in his in that amazing Camaro. And I think Norm had, it might have been a Ford Galaxy. Would that, would that have been right, Russ? Did he have a no, Ford Galaxy? No, I think it was a um, Chevy Impala, wasn't it? Oh, the Impala, there you go. So he, they, they, they sat on the, on the drag strip at Calder Park and decided to have a drag in front of the audience. And so Bob Jane's in the Camaro and, and that thing had been recently kind of kicked back into life. Anyway, they, they're on the starting line and the traffic lights go and they take off. And as soon as they took off, we heard this incredible noise at the back of Norm's car, like bang, crash. And I went, oh, that's that's drive shaft, that's gearbox, that's that's a whole bunch of metal, having trouble with other metal. And yet the car kept going. But we heard all this bang, bang, bang. And I'm thinking, oh, they've blown everything. But both cars kept going and gave it a pretty good show for the folks. Anyway, uh, when the car came back in, we said to Norm, what on earth was all that noise? And he said, I left a toolbox in the boot. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Norm, look, he's, he's in his late 80s, but he's in 100% um, condition. He's a great goer and uh, he has my respect. Russ, we could talk like this for ages. Time, um, sadly, is is going to beat us. But for the members that are listening, I mean, Jeff talked before about uh, the position you and you, your dad have, have held within the chamber over time. We've talked about the longevity of, of the business. If we were to share with some of the other members, what what in your mind is is the secret to the longevity for, for Stucky Tyres? That's a tricky one. I, I've never thought about that. Uh, I need time to think. Let me tell you what it is. When you go to Stucky Tyres and when you speak to a bloke like Russ Stucky, he knows what he's on about. He's going to tell you what to put on your car and why and you're going to get get a great service down there. And, you know, in this industry, when you come across people that actually know what they're talking about and actually tell you why you're going to use that tyre, what's in that rubber, why that particular pattern's what you need on that car – that's why people go back to Stucky Tyres because they actually know what they're on about. I used to have people say, if you want to get Stucky to the road, you ring Russell Stucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I use that? It's yours. <laughs> it's yours. We've seen you doing some YouTube vids too, mate, so we know that you're an influencer now and all sorts of stuff, so well done. <laughs> well done, and thank you so much for spending a moment and, and chatting with us today, and we wish you continued success and, most importantly, continued uh, enjoyment in that uh, in that space in which you play so well. Yeah, well, I love the business. Business and I hope I can keep doing it for many years to come. Now, shortly, we will open the glove box for some mail. But first... Blow it out your tailpipe. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go, hi, blow it out your tailpipe. How good does that sound, eh? That fits well. <laughs> uh, it's a quick one, this one. Uh, it was it's, it's something I, I heard out of America. Someone uh, was caught speeding, um, was sent a fine in the mail. Driver of said car or, or of a car uh, sent back the request to see the photo. <laughs> the police sent a photo of his car going through 
uh, a speed camera. So he sent back a photo of a check to the value of the speeding fine and the police sent him a photo of handcuffs. (laughs) 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 Which, if you ask me, is them telling him to blow it out his tailpipe. So, yes, he then sent that check in. Outstanding. (laughs) Outstanding. Now, uh, we can with our feedback from listeners, and thank you very much for those of you that have been in contact via social media or through email. You can do it, as I said earlier in the episode, via audio now. So all you need to do, uh, Mm -hmm. go to your smartphone, uh, use a voice memo or similar, and send it to us, info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Really simple. Just keep it nice and short. Here's our first one. G'day, it's Shane here from Melbourne. Uh, My question is with the Ford and Holden plants closing in recent years, I was thinking, what car does the Prime Minister actually get driven around in? Oh, yeah, good question. Uh, great name too. Uh, I'd like to have a stab at this. Uh, I don't actually know the real answer. Um, I reckon I reckon we've mentioned this car a few times during the show. I think it would be a GTHO because it would be government top job head office. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't it <laughs> be GTHO? <laughs> yeah. When we manufactured cars in Australia, they always use a locally manufactured car. Now it's a BMW 7 Series I think by next year he might even be in an electric car post Glasgow. Ooh. Uh, but, Is that the $5,000 um, air condition model? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we would love you to be a part of the show, please. Info at the Grill Podcast um, is the way that you go about it. Lots of things have been covered in this show. If you've got an opinion or a view on some of those, share them with us. Uh, for Shane, for Jeff and our entire VACC team, thank you very much. And a big thanks to Bendix and their boss George for coming on today and chatting with us and our other great supporter as well in Denso. Catch you next time everyone. See you on the road folks. Listener.